0: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello,
1: folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you this weekend, as always. And um, you can live stream this radio show over the internet. The live stream us, at LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. Hear it all across the country, around the world. Throughout the solar system, including the Milky Way. And during the week, join us on Fox Business Television, please. Name of the shows Cudlow. It plays 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. I played a I played a little hooky yesterday, and I'll probably play a little hooky on Monday, but I'll be back Tuesday. Anyway, 4 to 5 p.m. Mondays through Fridays. Fox Business Television name of the shows Cudlow. And if you can't get there at four for some reason, just text your favorite nine-year-old and she will show you how to DVR the show. It's not hard. So I'm sitting here. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I have an economics background, politics, broadcasting, Federal Reserve, and I'm going to be talking lawsuits here. Crazy, insane, manifestly unjust political jihads against Donald Trump. And I want to say at the outset a thought, uh, we'll get to the details and we're going to have uh, Joe Concha and Mark Simone, and we're going to have Greg Jarrett, a real live lawyer. But the point, you know, this just becomes such an incredibly obnoxious, litigious society. Again, it's like, this is where I came in a long time ago in the, 1970s, if you disagree with somebody in the 70s, early 80s, you did a lawsuit aimed at business. Now it's been aimed at politicians, mostly Mr. Trump. But Democrats are using this lawfare as an election, cudgel, And it's crazy. I don't know. I I think last week I probably mentioned Matt Taibbi, who was a guest on the Cudlow Show this past week. I don't recall, but he wrote a blockbuster story about how uh, people want Democrats want to steal the election, sabotage the election. It'll be the first lawfare election. That's what this is. Everything is about lo- using the courts, a two tiered system. You know, M- Mr. Biden's guilty of taking documents, classified documents out of the Senate and out of the vice presidential office and bringing it into his house. And uh, that's illegal. But he doesn't get busted, Mr. Trump, who is president and has the authority to take documents out and declassify them, he does it and he gets busted. Biden doesn't. Trump does. This case, you know, yesterday, with this insane case, uh, Ergon, Engron, sorry. This thing, you know, had already hit the statute of limitations. the appellate division of the New York court system ended it on statute of limitations. And what you got here is this literally literally crazed state attorney general, Leticia James, who ran to bust Trump, not law and order, not protect citizens. There's no fraud here. Just to bust Trump. And she had this clubhouse politician, you know, these, it says state Supreme Court. It sounds like a big deal. It's not. It's all Democrat. It's run by the Democratic clubhouses. They avoid primaries. Republicans don't appear anymore. It's just a clubhouse Democratic political hack. It's all he it is. And um, there are no victims, no damages, no complaints. Banks were satisfied. Insurance companies were satisfied. Lenders were satisfied. They made tons of money. The Trump uh, brand... Ironclad disclaimers. Banks have to do their own due diligence. I mean, that's de rigueur. Everybody knows this, and they come up with this crazy what three hundred and fifty some odd million. You add the interest expense, it's another 100 million, 450 million or some such thing. It's utter insanity. But it's and then you go south to the Fulton County, Atlanta, Fannie Willis situation. It's a soap opera. She lied. He lied. They were using the taxpayer's trough to travel around the country. She says she paid for it in cash. So show us a deposit slip. Show me a banking statement. If you did everything in cash, show me a banking statement. There has to be a deposit someplace. I mean, who's kidding? This is just this. this in the era when the lefties and the liberals were running the place in the 1970s, before Reagan, Everything was legal, litigious. In those days, it was more aimed at business, anti-business. We hated business until Reagan brought it back, restored the country. Now it's politics, Trump, but it's Republicans in general. Two standards. Justice, we're not talking about economic growth or increasing real wages or stopping inflation. I mean, Trump is. Democrats don't. All they talk about is these damn lawsuits. It's crazy. Lawsuits by biased judges in biased places that won't stick upon appeal. Because, thankfully, we have a Supreme Court and we do have some principles. I mean, in New York, the appell- I don't believe the appellate court. I'm not a lawyer, so I may be wrong. But I don't think they'll uphold this uh, stupid thing. They had already ended it on the statute of limitations. I mean, it's crazy. This could have gone to the commercial division. It didn't. They're using some obscure consumer fraud case. There was no consumer fraud. Nobody lost anything. You know, Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, I mean, I happen to be any great admirer and supporter. That's no surprise. And I was uh, honored to work for him as his economic advisor in the White House. But the point is, You know, Trump companies have done very well. They never default. They pay their bills. They pay their loans. They pay their interest rates. They hire tens and tens of thousands of New Yorkers with good-paying jobs. They build. They maintain. Remember, you you built the Woman skating rink years ago because none of these – Clubhouse politicians, these stupid left-wing Democrats, could get it done. Trump just came in, built it, and he stuck with New York in its darkest times in the mid-late '70s when the city and the state were going bankrupt. And he worked with Hugh Carey and other sensible Democrats. I think of those days, Mr. Trump himself was a Democrat. I was a Democrat in those days. He hired tons of people, paid good salaries, paid a ton of taxes. I don't know. I saw a number the other last night. There was so, so much of this on Fox that I was watching. Uh, but I think it was like $300 million in taxes. I don't know whether that's yearly, but over time. Wouldn't surprise me if it were yearly. And he's being punished for this. By these crazy left-wing jihadist Democrats. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you go down to Atlanta. Atlanta used to be called. What a great city Atlanta was. In the 70s and 80s, the New South, great business. You know, the first Hyatt with those, uh, you know, glass elevators that would go up the side of the building. Nobody ever – it was in Atlanta. I believe the Hyatt Empire began in Atlanta. Could be wrong, but I think so. Anyway, it was known for that. Fabulous hotels down there, Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton. It's all gone now. They all left you had the heart of the civil rights movement, the good civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, Reverend Abernathy, John Lewis, Andy Young. You may not agree with their politics. I didn't agree with all the politics, but on civil rights, they were peaceful. They weren't crazed. They weren't black Panthers. They were part of Atlanta. They worked with the Atlanta business community. Now, under these far left Democrats, like Fannie Willis and the rest of this crowd, spewing hatred not only against Donald Trump, but a lot of others as well. You know, Buckhead, which is a well to do suburb, they've been trying to secede from from Fulton County for years. they do not want any part of it. I worked uh, in those days uh, for Bear Stearns. I was a Bear Stearns partner, I was economics partner. It's good. We had a great office in Atlanta. I used to love to visit Atlanta. Now it's lawless, dirty. That's what you got under this crowd—insanity, total insanity—and for what? You know, the country's watching Fannie Willis lie, or her paramour Wade lie, or her father lie. Or no one can explain how you carry around fifteen thousand, fifteen thousand dollars of cash just sitting around the house. Really, you know, ordinary Americans can't even comprehend fifteen thousand dollars of spare cash. They look at this, they they watch this lady, and all the you know her paramour, and they they scratch their head. I'm going to tell you what. Politically, I'm I'm going to think most common sense. Typical American working folks, they're going to look at this and say, it is time for a change. We got to straighten this country out again. It's not just about Donald Trump. Although Trump, tough, he can do it. He'll clean the place up. He'll drain the swamp. He'll fix the legal system. He'll give you a good justice department. He'll restore the laws and the economy and the border and foreign policy. But the point is, look how far we've dropped. The era of Joe Biden, but it started with Barack Obama. Trump had four years, tried to, he made some good progress. Then he was tossed out. Now he wants another shot at it. These are bad times. This country is so great. Don't get me wrong. This country is so great. Free Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But this legal system is just being completely undermined and subverted by these crazy Democrats. Left wing, the whole party. You know, Joe Manchin said uh, this past week, you're not going to run for office as an independent or as a Democrat. They won't let Robert F. Kennedy Jr. run for office. I, I don't worship, but they are political shrines. Don't get me wrong. But the point is, here's another, Joe Biden, Joe Biden won't let North Carolina have a primary. Joe Biden won't let Florida have a primary. Joe Biden didn't want uh, New Hampshire to have a primary. Joe Biden used the political justice system to stop competition in his own party. He tried to stop this Robert Hur. his name's Robert Herr, and the classified documents uh, special counsel for telling the truth. For telling the truth. Of course, Biden was wrong. He willingly retained classified documents he was never permitted to retain. And the counsel, who's a straight shooter, and even the Justice Department defended him against these White House wolves and harpies, he said, okay. He's not. We're not going to bust him formally because he's, uh, you know, dotering old man. And juries might be sympathetic. Well, I don't know what I think about that because I think Joe Biden broke the law. And I think if you're going to bust Donald Trump, you should have busted Joe Biden. But the fact is Donald Trump as president in the Presidential Records Act had every right to declassify Joe Biden in the Presidential Records Act as a senator and vice president formerly, had no right whatsoever to retain classified documents, which probably, if we can get the uh, underlying data, probably have something to do with China and Ukraine. We'll wait and see on that. These are crazy people. They're crazy people. What they've done to Trump or tried to do to Trump, what they're doing to the country, to the system, What they're doing to our way of life. These are people who don't come to government for noble purposes to be helpful, to do good, to raise the poor up. They don't. They come for power and money. And they use every phony legal means to protect their power and steal money from ordinary folks. Where do you think that money comes from? From ordinary folks, and it is a terrible spectacle. And if people were watching Joe Biden's press conference the other night, or this Fannie Willis episode, or yesterday and this insanity of uh, what uh, the New York Engoron uh, judge did, and uh, Letitia James all getting angry and fired up and Fannie Willis getting angry and fired up at Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not the problem here, folks. Let me tell you, Donald Trump is not the problem. Donald Trump is the solution. And he's a very strong man, great character. I call it Trump tough. Believe me, he's not giving up. What's at stake here is a country that needs to be saved. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is The Larry Kudlow Show.
0: Now, back to The Larry Kudlow Show.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So, we'll cover this uh, legal ground and political ground. We have Simone and Conja coming up. All right, Barts John Carney on the economy. You know, it's a story we're going to cover later. Steve Camarota, uh, Director of Research for the Center for Immigration Research. You know, because of an executive order by Joe Biden, way back in January 2021, okay, this was apocryphal. He knew he was going to let all the illegals in. Uh, population, the next census, will include illegals. All right. And that means a lot of states are going to have inflated populations, which means they will have 22, by the recent estimate, 22 additional members of Congress in these uh, sanctuary states. And those are, by the by, presidential electors. The other part of the story is a lot of the job gains we've seen in the last couple of years are... Uh, coming from illegals, not native-borns or naturalized citizens. And, you know, I'll say what I always say. I am in favor of immigration, legal immigration. People that know something about the country, civics, Declaration of Independence, speak English, have a job, can make a con- contribution, I'm all for it. But I am not for these gang members from Venezuela that are wreaking havoc throughout the country. And I don't want to bloat our Congress or our presidential electors. So we're going to cover that story, too, later in the show. Stick around, folks. A lot more to do. There's insanity out there, but we'll try to parse through it. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Let's talk some about these political trials, the jihad against Donald Trump. We bring in Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency. And Hall of Fame radio man Mark Simone, host of 710 WOR weekdays, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Thank you, gentlemen. Mark Simone. You're a man about town here in New York. Donald Trump hired tens of thousands of people, paid them well, paid a fortune in taxes, redid the New York skyline, helped the city out when it was going bankrupt in the 70s, built a skating rink when nobody else could do it, and this is his payoff. What do you make of this story?
3: You know, he did a lot more for New York Grand Central Station that was about to be torn down at one point. That whole neighborhood was a disaster. He opened a hotel there, turned it around, did the same for Columbus Circle, many parts of uh, of New York. Uh, you know, I had a liberal college professor once t- telling me, teaching me the, the darkest period in America where government was abused was Joe McCarthy and McCarthyism. That was nothing compared to this. This is the whole entire justice apparatus. Becoming one big McCarthy going after somebody. I've never seen anything this ugly, it, it, and I, I, hopefully, it's sinking in on Americans. If you watch the news coverage, you're getting a very slanted look at it. Uh, I was watching the ABC news report this morning. All they said was uh, Trump valued it at 600 million Mar-a-Lago, and it was actually only 27 million. They never mentioned that every Palm Beach real estate expert put it at a billion to 1.5 billion They were just leaving everything out of the story.
1: Actually, you got homes, private homes, close to a billion in Palm beach, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the hedge fund guy's name, I can't remember. He's building one that was uh, Ken Griffin. Yeah. Ken Griffin. I think he was up to 900 million or some such you know, thing. Well, one expert told
3: me, uh, it's 18 million. It's so ridiculous. You could not get the parking lot at Mar-a-Lago for less than 10 times that. It would be at least $180 million just for the parking lot.
1: I mean, Joe Conchett, the, I like the McCarthyism theme because it seems like that's what we're revisiting here. I mean, there are a lot of other things I want to talk to you fellows about. But I think, um, maybe I'm wrong here, but but I think ordinary folks, working folks, middle-class folks, they're watching this stuff. Vanny Willis or Paramore Wade. They're watching uh, Letitia James. Letitia James was so angry when she gave her press conference last night. Uh, Fannie Willis was very angry. I don't know who saw it or who didn't see it. But I think people are going to walk away saying, you know what, this has got to change. We can't keep going down this road. The whole country is like a pinball machine on permanent tilt. This is all wrong. We're not worried about jobs, wages, inflation, the border, foreign policy. We're, we're watching these two-bit Democratic politicians uh, use the court system uh, to go after one guy, Donald Trump. It's insanity. I mean, I, maybe I'm missing something.
4: Uh, I'm big on split screens, guys, as far, as far as juxtaposition and contrast. And yesterday what you saw was a doddering Joe Biden who took 378 days to go to east palestine ohio and you heard those residents there saying that they feel like they were abandoned they still can smell in the air that toxic derailment their property values are destroyed mm. and then you see on the other side of the screen you see Fannie willis or you see tish james and you see these rulings as far as donald trump 380 million dollars he's got to pay he can't do business in new york for three years and they're saying Who the hell cares about this? Mm. It's your point, Larry. I I doubt that many people uh, who are homeless right now, particularly veterans, uh, care about this too much uh, when they see that Those who are in this country illegally uh, are getting three meals a day and staying at four-star hotels. They don't like that very much. They don't like the fact that they don't feel safe in their own cities, and that's why they're moving to Florida and Tennessee and Texas out of New York and Chicago and San Francisco. They still think the price of food is too high, home heating costs are too high, gas prices are too high, and they see the weaponization of this justice system to take out the guy who is easily the odds-on favorite to be president again. And I think— Common sense, normal people, even Democrats, blue dogs, think this is a whole bowl of wrong, guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I that's my take. I think that's true. Uh, you know, you just have half the country, more or less, and it's all being played out on the TV screens now, involved in these incredible trials where the more you learn, the less you like, or as you suggest, the less you care because there are other far more – Pressing problems. I I like the Palestine uh, comparison. I think that's a good one. Uh, I just thought, you know, Joe Biden on the evening press conference, I guess it was last week, um, people looking at that said, yeah, well, the guy's got a memory problem. He's a bit doty. And by the way, what was he doing with these documents? You can't. I mean, it's what's the phrase? You can fool some of the people some of the times. can't fool all the people all the time, Joe. You, I, I, you can't, you, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, Democrats are playing this out because they don't want to talk about anything else. I just don't think it's going to work.
4: They, they can't win on the issues, and they know they can't win on the issues. They certainly don't have the president and leader of the party who can win right now based on the perception where, what, 86% of Americans, according to that ABC News poll that came out, that's basically everybody, believes that he should not serve, Joe Biden should not serve, a second term because he doesn't have the mental or physical acuity for the job. So they know that, A, he's the wrong candidate, and B, on all the things we just talked about, inflation, crime, energy independence – Border mm. education test scores are at a 30-year low right now. No one really talks about that too much, as well. And the world seems like it's on fire because it is with these proxy wars that we continue to throw hundreds of billions of dollars of that at, with no accountability of where that money is going and no end game as far as negotiating a peace. So, yeah, no one likes this, and the Democrats are on every. And I'm I'm talking from a common sense perspective, not a conservative or a Republican one. On every issue, they know they're on the wrong side, and the only way they could win is in courtrooms and not at the ballot box.
1: You know, Mark, um, one of the uh, ironies of this is that this um, this uh, lawsuit against Trump, this it was ended on the statute of limitations. And Mr. Trump has this in his um, his circular that came out last night. The case is over ever since the appellate division ended it on statute of limitations also letting my daughter Ivanka out of this witch hunt. The Democrat Club-controlled Judge Engeron has already been reversed four times on this case, a shameful record, and he will be reversed again. I mean, just on the details of this, I mean, I know the numbers are huge. and Look, you take a guy like Jonathan Turley, who has no particular political axe to grind, I think. Uh, who said it's, you know, nobody could imagine numbers like this. But the legalities are all wrong. And yet nobody wants to, in the New York system, nobody's, we're here. Let me rephrase this, Mark Simone. You know what has to happen here? The New York Bar Association has to come in and start issuing reprimanding statements about this turn of affairs. Because this is a long-term, right? You've got to have a long game here. This is one of the oldest bar associations in the United States of America. And they're not all crazy, right? There may be political liberals, but they're still law-abiding. That's the kind of thing you need, Mark, to begin to put an end to this.
3: Uh, Unfortunately, this uh, New York Bar Association, very left-wing. They uh, took Rudy Giuliani's law license. They've been going after everybody, Alan Dershowitz, anybody that's on the Trump side. This has to get to a real court, if that's the appeals court in New York or the Supreme Court. All of this case will get tossed out in a real court. And some legal scholars, including Dershowitz, think this law they used, which only exists in New York, will be declared unconstitutional, Mm. that you can't go after somebody for fraud where there was no victim. And this is the part they really think is unconstitutional. You can't attach a remedy for a fraud that never happened. You can't just make up a number. And when you talk about fake news, nobody's reporting that every banker took the stand and said they were not defrauded. They were very happy with the deal, and they do it again in a second.
1: Well, that's important. I mean, I'm, you're probably right about the Bar Association. I don't know. I'm being naive, I suppose. Um, Joe uh, Concha, you got 15, 20, 30 grand of cash hanging around your house out there in Jersey?
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, you got to have I, cash on hand at all times, especially when you're on vacation. Cause when you're negotiating to rent a moped, you need cash to do that. According to Fonnie Willis.
1: I mean, um, she claims she paid him in cash Wade, <laughs> but on the other hand, somebody has got to have a bank account. I, I mean, he, if she paid him all this money in cash for these vacations out of the 700 grand she was paying him as, as prosecutor. In other words, it's not like you can't trace this. You can trace this. Not everybody lives. By the way, you know the cash economy is usually about criminals and uh, drug runners and stuff like that. But now I guess it's for blacks. But I don't think all blacks have a cash economy. My guess is uh, African-Americans who are working use the American banking system. What do you think? You think so? Or maybe I'm wrong about. There's a lot I don't understand in life now. And the older I get, the harder it gets. But I'm just saying, there's a bank and a bank statement, something to show cash transactions. You can't just avoid all records.
4: I would imagine those records are eventually going to emerge, right? Because this isn't—they're yeah. going to continue to investigate this until she ends up in jail, which is exactly where she should be. And this isn't the weaponization of the justice system, by the way. She did that as far as what she did with Trump and hiring this guy. I remember who Nathan Wade is? He has looked like the Better Call Saul of Fulton County, Georgia. Right? <laughs> he's an ambulance chaser, and now he's like, "I'm going to hire this guy. I'm going to give him six hundred thousand dollars to try a RICO case. He's never done it." A- that on a federal level or any level so this is just so laughable and by the way you know, I, my, my, my wife is an outstanding dresser, great fashion. She knows how to put a dress on, unlike uh, Fanny Willis, who somehow put it on backwards.
2: How do you do that? It's uh, impossible,
4: but she did it.
1: Well, she was very angry, right? So she oh, just God. stormed out, threw the dress on, had the zipper on the wrong side. I, I don't know if that's true, but I was reading the same thing you were. Uh, yeah, zippers aren't in the front unless you're a guy. That's basically how it works. <laughs> Mark Simone <laughs> Uh, I didn't see enough reference to the Belize tattoo parlor. I still think that could have been a key uh, point of evidence. Did you? Have, can you enlighten us about that? Was there a tattoo parlor? And is there a tattoo?
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but she's just lucky she's a Democrat. If she were a Republican, <laughs> the IRS would be all over her, wanting to know how she had fifteen thousand cash, where it came from. I'm surprised she didn't use gold bars like Menendez yeah. or something. But the, Uh, And I'm sure if you called uh, Visa or American Express and they looked in their data, what percentage of the black population has credit cards? It's probably ninety nine point eight percent. And ask anybody that works in a restaurant uh, who pays cash. It it does. Tony Soprano and Bob Menendez. No one else pays cash.
1: I mean, that's the one of the more disgusting parts of her testimony was how she fell back on. the Well, this is what blacks is what blacks do. Or my daddy told me my daddy, who was a black panther. Uh, he told me, I mean, I'm sure they rehearsed the timeline, although they screwed up the timeline, too, because he the father said he didn't even know he didn't even see Wade around when they were going out. So who believes any of that stuff? In fact, Mark, who believes any of it? In other words, I'm saying and I'm not a lawyer. In fact, I believe we don't have a lawyer unless Joe's a lawyer. But I'm saying they need to, they lied. So they perjured themselves. So they may go to jail, but they should be disqualified. And the um, district attorney's office who conspired with them should also be disqualified. Now, we got uh, later in the show, Greg Jarrett, who is a good lawyer, will come on and give us some of the niceties. But, I mean, I looked at that whole story um, and said, yeah, you're finished. You're you're through, Mark Simone. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think they're all going out. And I think – You know, Trump's going to wind up being a big winner on that one, too.
3: Oh, on all of this stuff. Yeah, I think the father was lying. Then he tells a story about he's in a restaurant, took out his American Express card. They they wouldn't take it, took out his visa. They wouldn't take it. He barely had any cash in his pocket. Five minutes ago, he was telling us all he did was carry cash. His story contradicts his own testimony. So uh, Trump wins this easily. He's winning uh, a lot with younger people. And in the black population, he's increasing. And there's some... Uh, studies that show that a a lot of people, unfortunately, in the black population just think the justice system is rigged and they're seeing Trump as a victim and they're identifying with that. So it's helping
1: him in a lot of ways. I mean, I would think many uh, African-Americans who work, uh, whether they're rich, middle or lower income, I don't know. uh, I think they would be kind of horrified at what happened down there in Fulton County. And the stuff that Fannie Willis was trying to sell—I mean, I think they'd be very unhappy. I mean, this business about just the cash—the cash thing itself—is an insult. It's like they're non-citizens; they're they're non-economic player. Of course, they use the banking system. By the way, there are a lot of black banks if you're worried about that sort of thing. But everybody has a credit card. Credit cards aren't racial. Debit cards, which is a cash card, they're not racial. Amt cards aren't racial. Where does she get off making this a race issue?
3: Yeah, and Fulton County has a bad history. In 1960, they drummed up charges against Martin Luther King, threw him in jail mm-hmm. forever. We never would have seen him again if John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy didn't rescue him out of there and save him. It's just a horrible,
1: horrible place. That's a in good point. Now, you know, Nelson Rockefeller, too, Mark. That's a very good yeah. point. Fulton County, look, Atlanta used to be, I said this at the time, Atlanta used to be a terrific city, and these people have run it into the ground. And the best part of it now, the suburbs, uh They want to secede from Fulton County. They want to get the hell out of there. Anyway, we'll take a break. Stick around. A little bit more. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor. Uh, Joe's book's still plugging away. Come on, man. The truth about Biden's no good. Horrible, very bad presidency. And Hall of Famer Mark Simone, his uh, radio show, 710 WOR, every day, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. to 12 noon. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome
1: back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to Joe Concha, Fox News contributor and author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency, and uh, Hall of Fame radio host Mark Simone on 710WOR weekdays, 10 a.m. to 12 noon every day. Uh, Joe Concha, you know, almost lost in the shuffle. There is still going to be fallout from this Robert Herr special counsel's report uh, because uh, Joe Biden willfully broke the law by taking uh, documents, classified documents as a Senator and a vice president. Now the focus has been on the debate about whether he has all his marbles, which he doesn't, but actually there's an illegal act here, a number of them. And we may learn if we ever get the underlying testimony Uh, that there were classified documents with respect to China, the China energy companies, uh, whatever they're called, and the Ukraine story. What do you think about that? I mean, that's almost lost because of these crazy uh, legal cases.
4: Oh, completely. The only thing that saved Joe Biden here, per Robert Herr, is that, well, he would be a sympathetic old man whose memory is shot, so we didn't want to go ahead with this. Okay, but take that aside Did he do something illegal? Yes. And by the way, a lot of these documents that Joe Biden took, it was back when he was a senator, when he wasn't elderly or had memory problems, right? Mm -hmm. And then as vice president as well, 2009 is 15 years ago, right? So uh, Joe Biden would be in his 60s at that point. So I don't even understand the excuse, because when he committed these acts, uh, it was when he seemed to have more of his marvels, at least all of them. So even hers excuses is kind of lame, but uh, you're you're right. Uh, Once we find out what was in those documents and if you put national security at risk, particularly as it pertains to China, uh, watch out. And by the way, if they try to, you know, get Trump on this for the same exact uh, violation, then all right, that doesn't look like a two-tiered double standard justice system or anything, right?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, Mark Simone, uh, I think the fallout, you know, (laughs) uh, even the Justice Department, right? The White House trying to make a big deal about uh, the uh, whether Biden has his marbles or not and whether her should have included that. Uh, methinks they doth protest too much because that distracts from the illegality that Joe Concha just mentioned. And uh, I don't think this story is over. And I think Jim Jordan, of uh, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, is going to go after this.
3: Yeah, no, he should. And the media is covering up a lot of stuff. You know, in that report, because Biden lied and said it was the staff, if only he had kept an eye on the staff. In the report, page 151, Some of the movers testified Biden himself was packing those boxes. Mm. Biden supervised every inch of the move. Her also later in the report proves at home Biden was in and out of those boxes all the time where you could see big folders that said classified on them. He lied saying he didn't pack them. He lied saying he didn't know they were in his house. So all of that at some point is going to come out and do him in.
1: You don't think Hunter Biden had access
3: to those boxes, do you? Uh, is there any way he didn't have access? It was, a, uh, that house at one time was officially legally registered to Hunter. It was right. actually his house at one time.
1: I mean, this is, uh, the, the question is whether those documents had anything to do with all these influence peddling business deals in Ukraine and uh, China and Russia. I mean, I don't know this. I think there's a, there's a lot to be picked over, Mark. I mean, I think that's where the GOP has got to go.
3: Well, uh, also the fact that some of the documents ended up in an office in Chinatown. Some of them ended up in uh, the Penn Center, funded by China,
1: controlled by... I'm sure that's just a, a massive coincidence. Yes, I'm the, sure that's all it is. All right, kids. Mark Simone, 710WOR, 10 a.m. to 12 noon every day. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor. Thank you, kids. I appreciate it very, very much. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we have some lousy economic news. we got John Carney of Breitbart Economics who's going to come on. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back,
1: folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We had some disappointing numbers start of the year. January data coming out in February. Retail sales softer. Inflation reports, hotter. Interest rates, uh, actually the long rates back up around 420, 430. So let's talk to uh, John Carney, Breitbart economics editor and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, Great Daily. So, John, it was kind of a disappointing batch of numbers, not catastrophe. Let's see. The Atlanta uh, GDP tracker, I think, is 2.9 for the first quarter. But um you're saying I think there's a lot of inflation embedded in the ses- in the system still. Is that the basic yes. thrust?
5: Yeah, if you look into the uh particularly the the producer price index numbers that we got out on Friday, uh so the latest inflation figures, you can see a lot of inflation building up. Uh the number the headline number was worse than expected. But, if you look into core goods mm. uh, there's a, there's inflation in that, so you, once you take out food and energy, there's inflation there, and that's frankly where we were getting a lot of disinflation from. That's where that was something that was going to be bringing down inflation this year, but instead it's coming up uh, If you look further out in the pipeline, they have something they call intermediate goods, and that's sort of like the mm. when one business buys something and then they add it to the rest of their products. And so think of like parts going into cars is a good example. So the intermediate products also are rising in prices, and that's eventually going to end up in consumer prices as well. So I look at this report and I see not just a kind of January fluke, you know, sometimes January numbers can be a little bit um, wacky. Uh, I don't see a January fluke. I actually inflation building in the system and that
1: means more inflation coming for the rest of this year. Isn't that what um, I'm just looking here we'll do our stock market stuff later but your 10 year treasury is 4, I'll call it 430. The two year is still 464 and of course the 90 day 91 day bill is 537. I mean that's what that's an, interest rates are telling you inflation is not skyrocketing but it's not dead either rates market. Mark. I always like to use market rates, you know, not the fed funds rate, but market rates.
5: Yeah, that's right. I think if you look at what what's happening, particularly in the the longer uh, dated treasuries, what you're seeing is people saying we're, it's not going to come down very fast. We're not going to, you know, back up to 9% unless some kind of catastrophe happens. Uh, that was very bad, but that was a combination of a lot of things happening all at once. Instead what we're seeing is that inflation is going it looks like it's going to get stuck at around three to four percent, which is way too high, but um, you know better than nine percent, but mm-hmm. not coming down to two percent. That's the defense target. That's a reasonable rate of inflation. That's what I think people expect that's what they think a well, run monetary and fiscal policy would produce, but instead we're getting this much higher number.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm looking, this morning I got in the mail, the email, Tippin Tippin Sites, you know, they do the index, they do the um, uh, CPI levels going back to February of 2021. So inflation under Biden. So all items up 17.3%. Uh food at home, so groceries twenty point seven overall, food away from home twenty point nine. This energy is plus twenty-seven percent, even gasoline with gasoline by the way is creeping a little higher at three dollars and twenty-five cents. But gasoline's up twenty-five percent, John. Uh you go through this new vehicles up nineteen percent, used cars up nineteen percent. You got a lot. I mean, this is what's killing people. Airline it fares is. up twenty six percent. You it know, is.
5: if you look, if you look at groceries, also. By the way, that was another number. That the latest number was quite bad. The food inflation, which a lot of people thought, okay, we've got that down. We're no longer having like supply chain issues. Food inflation should be coming down, uh, and it's not. We had, we got hot food inflation.
1: If you'll excuse the pun, uh, <laughs> well, the- <laughs> microwave? Did you say microwave inflation?
5: <laughs> you were, we got inflation in both the grocery store inflation, but also restaurants as well. So you can't. You, there's almost yeah. nowhere to go. You, you know, there, there, there is a. Uh, it's getting more expensive to feed your family. A lot of you know, a lot of the people who said inflation would come down would point to that and say that should be coming down. But if you look at the CPI numbers from last week. We, we actually have a return of food inflation, which again is going to be really troubling for American families. And as you said, if you look back over the last couple of years, it has just been devastating. And that's one of the things that I think when you see a lot of people say, well, inflation's come down, they forget that inflation is cumulative. Yep. When we get 4% inflation yep. in a year after 9%, we're, you know, it, we're, we're actually looking at a, mu- you know, much higher rate of inflation over the last couple of years than anybody can look. So when you see, you know, so yeah, we're, we're, things are 20% more expensive. Mm-hmm. People, and people feel that, you know, they, and one, so one of the reasons when you ask people, how are you feeling about the economy? And they, and even though jobs, we are, you know, very good, we've been adding lots of jobs. People feel pretty bad because things they used to be able to afford for their family. They no longer can. That airline number. I mean, trying to take your family on a a vacation is very expensive now because of what we've
1: seen in airfares. Especially if you pay cash for it. Joke. Joke. Joke, joke, joke. joke. Um, Prices up 20% under Biden's term, but wages are up 15%. So he's got a deficit. Real weekly wages down about 5%. I call it the affordability crisis, John. I think it's more important than gdp
5: i think that's right i think that um we all focused on jobs and gdp for a while because inflation wasn't a problem so we said okay you know the main thing people want is growth and jobs but that's because we had a long period in which we had inflation under control once inflation got out of control people's mindset shifted Mm. they now want to make sure that life can be affordable. That the you know they even if you own your home and so you have a fixed rate mortgage, your mortgage rate didn't go up, but your grocery bill is so much bigger than it used to be. Your car, you know, maybe you tried to hold out for a couple of years and say, you know, I'm going to let the car get a little bit older. Cars are too expensive, but we're still seeing inflation in cars. And so I think that's really hurting uh, people. And I think it's politically costly. And car, I,
1: and car loan rates. I just bought one car loan rates are running. I don't know if I recall 10 percent. It's not cheap. That's it's not cheap. That's you,
5: Larry. You, you, you're you getting the best rate there available. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are getting a lot worse than that. And so it is a one 2 punch. Things are more expensive, and then the money you have to borrow to buy those things—you know, anything you finance—and a lot of people, you know, a lot of big-ticket items, whether it's appliances or, uh, or obviously cars, it, are financed. And so, people get hit both on the price and on the interest rate.
1: Yes, sir. John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. It's a must-read every day. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, uh, folks. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. we got Steve Camerata of the Center for Immigration Research. Two points here. Number one, illegal immigrants are being counted in our census and hence our congressional seats and presidential electors. And um, I think more illegals are getting jobs than uh, naturalized citizens. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: This is The Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to The Larry Kudlow Show.
1: Welcome back, folks. Steve Camerata is the director of research for the Center for Immigration Research. And, Steve, welcome back. I got a couple things for you, and we're going to get through them. But one is that articles about most of the new hires under Trump, under uh, Biden, rather, are coming from – I don't know the right word is non naturalized citizens immigration employment, but it's really illegal employment. But they get green cards and work permits. And then the second one is the Census Bureau story about the potential for twenty two House seats because we're counting illegals as part of the population, which I think is utterly insane. Uh, so start me off on the uh, job story. Immigration employment has exploded. What's that mean?
2: Yeah. So. If you look at before COVID, so let's not go to the lows of COVID, in 2019 at the very end, and then you look at the number of people working in the United States today, the total number is up about 2.7 million. However, all of that is among immigrants. The total number of U.S.-born Americans who are working is down about 200,000, while the number of immigrants employed is up 2.9 million. And of that 2.9 million, it's very likely that we can't say from certain in the data that the that more than half are new illegal immigrants getting jobs.
1: Why is that, so, or how is that? Is that because Biden Biden's are just giving them work permits and green cards, or no, one, employers don't care whether they're legal or not?
2: The short answer is both, right? Um, we're they're giving out work authorizations at an, at a very fast clip. Hmm. There are millions of illegal immigrants in the United States. I know this will surprise your listeners. But there are millions of illegal immigrants in the United States who do have work authorization. So they're not really authorized to be here, but they are authorized to work. And that tells you right there why we have so much illegal immigration. If you have a crazy set of policies like that, it's not surprising people come. Mm. Um, so that's part of it. And part of it is just a lot, of, it doesn't matter. They, they, the illegal immigrants are concentrated in highly contingent parts of the labor force, like construction and food service and things like that. And so they. Uh, That They can just get jobs without uh, any kind of documents or they buy fake documents. We don't we require the information to be collected by employers, but then we don't do anything with that information. And that, of course, is a policy that the employers have worked to make sure remains in place.
1: Well, I think uh, just to put a cap on this, Steve, I think um, economic themes. Yes, you've got more people working, but you also have lower wages.
2: Right. So that's one of the things. That's a problem. Well, the biggest problem we face in the U.S. is all the working age men in particular, especially those without a college degree, on the economic sidelines. They don't show up as unemployed Mm. because they are neither working nor looking for work. And that number has that rate has deteriorated for 60 years And it's linked to a whole bunch of social problems, such as drug overdose deaths, crime, failure to form families, suicide, social isolation. We know when men don't work and they're of working age, it's a social disaster. And I would argue that unless we get this illegal immigration situation under control, and instead we just rely on the illegal immigrants, we are not going to to undertake the difficult, and it is difficult, uh, policies to address this and try to get more of those men back into the world
1: of work. About 5 million, some about 5 million could be as high as 7 million, probably about 5 million. It's a tragedy. Yeah, we could
2: probably draw back in. Yeah, we could probably it's a tragedy I mean, though. Of, You're right. It, it is a tragedy. Yeah. It's a horrible situation. And a lot
1: of it. You're right. It's drugs. It's incarceration. It's criminal records. It's people that don't want to work. It's getting too much government benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Steve, it's the low wages too. Yeah. Anyway, Steve, uh, jump to the other story, which I had, uh, House Majority Whip Tom Emmer on the TV show. Uh, This has to be stopped. This Biden's executive order uh, going back to January of 2021, which will have the next census count illegals as part of the population, which in turn will give uh, a lot of sanctuary states uh, more uh, congressional representation. I think the number I saw – From one of your articles uh, was 22 states, 22 new seats, which I might add means presidential electors. Now, this is a bad story. How can we be counting illegals as part of the population to inflate the members of Congress, which then will elect the president? How is this possible?
2: Right. So those numbers I gave you are from about the employment where Census Bureau data every month, the Census Bureau for the the Bureau of Labor Statistics Hmm. collects the monthly, the household survey. And all researchers agree that there are millions, more than 10 million, probably more like 13 million in the latest data. So when they do the monthly surveys, they pick up the illegal immigrants because they live in households and they survey households. Well, the same thing happened in the decennial census. There are at least 10 million illegal immigrants and this is that's before the biden surge mm. in the 2020 census oh, so yeah. um and so we count them we have no way of excluding them unless you were to begin to ask about legal status which which we, we been should really ask
1: which we try right, so the can. trump administration tried to do that my pal wilbur ross tried to do that you may recall and got his yes. you know at the commerce department which still runs the census and got his brains beaten in by the media beaten in. Right. So we gave it up and we shouldn't have. Because now, I mean, I don't know what the right number is. I think your number was uh, something like 17 million, which could give you uh, whatever, 22 new seats. But this is just wrong. People who heard this story told very upset about this. Yeah.
2: Well, remember, it, you don't always look at aggregate numbers. It has to do with the distribution across mm. states. Illegal immigrants wouldn't redistribute it that many seats. Um, but remember, we've added a lot of illegal immigrants now. So by some measures, 5, 6 million new illegal immigrants have settled in the United States. That is, people released into the United States by the administration, mm-hmm. got aways at the border, people who just went around and we never even saw them at the border, mm-hmm. or visa overstayers. It's got to be around 5, 6 million. Well, now you're talking some really big numbers, but I wouldn't say it would be 22 seats. Because they they are spread out to some extent, and not all of them will be counted. But if I had to guess, you might in the next census, based on this recent surge, redistributed eight seats in the House of Representatives. But remember, the same thing happens at the local level. Mm. In areas where illegal immigrants live, those areas, whether it's Texas, Florida, New York, Florida, Illinois, New Jersey, all the big illegal states, it also redistributes seats in their state legislatures. It redistributes seats inside, you know, um, city council seats. It has
1: an enormous task all all across. So the point is, why don't don't we manage the census properly? That's the point. We need to change the the way the census is is run.
2: It's crazy. Well, the Census Bureau says, look, we don't want to be political. Don't let us touch this hot potato. And so far we haven't. and, And the Supreme Court said you have to go through all these procedures if you want to ask.
1: Anyway, Steve Camarada, research director for the Center for Immigration Research, very important stuff. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate it, folks. Quick break, and then our best legal beagle, Mr. Greg Jarrett, is going to come on, tell us about Fanny, tell us about Letitia, tell us about Ingeron. tell us why the law is being subverted. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: wall street to the white house this is the larry kudlow show
1: welcome back everybody i'm larry kudlow so we return to the odious two-tiered justice system legal and political jihad against donald trump which i still think is going to backfire but there are legal issues here not political ones so we bring in the best of the best greg jarrett fox news legal analyst and his latest book is the Constitution of the United States and other patriotic documents. Greg, you've been a busy guy. You're doing a great job, by the way. Terrific job thank, you. thank on you. Fox. We appreciate your time on the radio. Greg, let, I'm going to begin. I want to go back to Fannie Willis for a moment. Um, <laughs> all right. So I have, pre- I mean, I, I think they're lying. I think they should be disqualified. But I want to know what, what you think, your your legal view rather than my political view.
6: Well, you know, Willis was a hideous witness, uh, one of the worst I've ever seen. And, you know, it proves the old adage that lawyers make horrible witnesses. You know, her her lover, Nathan Wade, I mean, that was a train wreck on the stand. And I think he's looking at, at serious perjury charges in his divorce case for lying about his extramarital affair, saying, well, you know, uh I didn't have to be honest in my answers because uh the affair with Willis didn't count since my marriage was broken even though we were still married, so I- I'm entitled to lie about it. Good luck with that defense. Yeah. And then, you know, Fanny Willis, I think, realized the obvious, uh, that-, that Wade had done great damage. So she literally sprinted to the witness stand waving her Objections, and then she proceeds to melt down in this tantrum of belligerent, condescending rants. Uh, I called it an eerie impression of Corella Deville. <laughs> she, you know, at one point she even screeched at the judge, who then banged his gavel and and called a recess. You know, the the important part is this, Larry. Both Wade and Willis admitted their sexual affair. Mm. But they claim, well, it doesn't count since it began after Wade was hired, not before. That doesn't matter. Mm. Read the canons of ethics. The affair itself constitutes a severe conflict of interest, an obvious impropriety, and a violation of the ethics that govern prosecutors. And, you know, that merits disqualification. Now, whether the judge is going to see it that way, a judge who's up for re-election, hmm. uh, and that will factor into his decision, you know, we just don't know.
1: Hmm. What about uh, this business about cash? You know, so that, trying to say that she, she didn't give him grand uh so they could go on vacations and pleasure trips and tattoo parlors and whatnot. She paid him back in cash. But somewhere, someplace, there's a banking statement that's going to prove or disprove that. He didn't do everything in cash. I mean, if she gives him all this cash, and you're talking about lots and lots of cash, she says everybody's got—black people have to have $15,000 in cash, which I think is an insult to black people who use the banking system. Of course they do. But the point is, this can be proven or disproven. Yeah, and
6: and the critical question here, and the judge— Uh, In his pre-hearing statement said he was going to focus on this, whether Willis herself benefited financially from these exorbitant uh, taxpayer-funded, lavish vacations they took together, you know, to Aruba and Belize and Napa, California and Miami and cruises in the Bahamas. Geez, you know, were they doing any work? Or or were they just vacationing like Joe Biden? Mm. Uh, And, you know, her cleanup story was inane. It was bizarre. It was, in a word, unbelievable Mm. uh, that she reimbursed him by paying him in cash. How very convenient, Larry. We're talking about thousands of dollars that cannot be traced or corroborated you know no sentient person believes it except maybe Senator Bob Menendez who mm. prefers you know cash and gold bars but the whole thing was so fantastic it it bordered on comical where did she get all that cash yeah. it seems to have wondrously appeared magic money i'd call it and and, and she claimed all oh, money's fungible oh.
1: what she what? makes what 110 grand a year On an after-tax basis in Atlanta, Georgia, she might take home—I don't know. She might probably pays a tax rate of about a third of that. So, so that's—I'm now down to like eighty grand a year, eighty-five grand a year, and with eighty-five grand a year and bills to pay and whatnot, she's got this kind of fifteen thousand dollars of cash around on a con. Nobody's going to believe that. White, black, green, brown—nobody's going to believe that, Greg Jarrett.
6: No, I don't think so and I you know I, I I think an objective fair neutral judge wouldn't believe it either. Right. It was, yeah. You know, it was just too fictional. But look, um, they're both in deep trouble regardless of how the hearing turns out. I mean, Fannie Willis is facing two other Georgia probes over misappropriation of funds, fraud, mm. other improprieties. Her staffers hate her so much. Mm. They are literally lining up to testify against her. So, you know, she could be removed from office, even face legal jeopardy. And as I say, you know, Wade is looking at, you know, charges that he lied during his divorce proceedings. So, you know, both of them, I think, are in trouble beyond this hearing.
1: When do you think these um, judicial and related decisions will be made, Greg Jarrett?
6: Well, you know, it, it's up to the judge. Uh, you know, frankly, I don't think he's in any hurry because I think if he rules that she doesn't have to be disqualified, uh, he well knows that it'll be taken up on appeal, and that's going to delay the trial. Mm. So, you know, th- this is a debacle of uh Fonnie Willis's own making, her poor judgment, her misconduct has really ruined her credibility. And, and you know, the, the jury is going to know all of this, that right. this case is deeply tainted. So, you know, the, the, this is a case that I don't see happening this year.
1: Ah, okay. So that's interesting. Uh, quickly, Greg Jarrett, uh, with respect to uh, Mr. Trump's appeal... In this nut job case here in New York, I mean, we've talked about it on the air th- today, obviously. Um, but I didn't understand the uh, appellate court has already ruled that the case should have ended with statutes of limitations. So I just wondered if you knew anything about this. Like, they're going to go back to the appellate court, which has already said the statute of limitations has ended. I mean, I don't get how they can do that
6: yeah the but certain of the counts weren't included in oh. the statute of limitations oh. so some counts were tossed out some counts weren't uh, but you know this this is a case i mean this was an excessive asinine mm. abusive uh judgment and and so that'll be appealed on the merits you know under the law Larry damages must always reflect the measurable harm. Mm. Here, there was no harm. There was no lost money. Not a single person testified they were financially injured or injured in any other way. In fact, just the opposite. The lending banks made enormous profits. Mm. So, you know, how in the world you use a consumer protection statute for a consumer harm that doesn't exist is one of the great legal mysteries. And I think the New York a uh, high, highest court, which is in New York, is called the Court of Appeals. Will eventually knock this down, even though the entire court is composed of seven justices appointed by
1: Democrats. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as the State Supreme Court, which is a clubhouse nomination because they just stack up the Democratic clubhouse.
6: Oh yeah, a- as well as the Appellate Division of the Supreme Court, which is the trial court. That's right. Uh, level, you know. Letitia James knew she was playing with House money here. Yeah. Liberal courts and yeah. a liberal trial court judge, as you point out. Yeah. He wore his anti-Trump bias on his sleeve. He was arrogant. He was smug. His, his ruling, he pronounced Trump guilty of fraud, ignoring all the bank executives who testified, Wait a minute, we weren't defrauded, we weren't deceived. Uh, and, and Goran said that Trump falsified financial statements Ignoring that Trump didn't prepare the financials, he hired top lawyers, accountants, real estate experts. They're the ones Mm -hmm. who calculated his assets. Mm -hmm. And then the banks did their own due diligence. They concluded Trump had more than enough to secure the loans, and they wanted to lend him more money. They called him their whale because they made so much.
1: I mean, really, the issue isn't speculation about what something's worth. It's what collateral value you have. And Trump always had more than sufficient collateral value behind the loans and the banks knew that and as you say they did their due diligence but that was always you know all these uh, statements of financial condition had waivers attached to that point that the banks would do their own due right. diligence I mean it says this charges is a complete dummy but we know yeah. this all right this yeah. isn't about law this is about straight jihadist politics
6: Yeah, but you know what, Larry, I mean, this case is another example of how blue cities and states are hostile to anybody with an R after the name. I mean, if you're not a Democrat, which is 85 percent of the population in New York, then you're just not welcome in the Big Apple. And that's why there has been this exodus of businesses and entrepreneurs. Uh, You know, who the hell wants to live in New York City? Rampant crime. Uh, You know, you've got the immigrants that have taken over, thanks to to Joe Biden. Uh, You know, it's back in bankruptcy territory. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I left and headed south. You know, people in power like Letitia James are willing to contort the law, mangle the facts, to come after you with a vengeance. Mm. So, you know, what business wants to be there at risk?
1: Here I am. Just parked right now, broadcasting from the middle of Manhattan, WABC Radio. I'm not going to tell you where. Well, any,
6: I, I hope you're well-armed or have security <laughs> because uh, walking the streets in New York City is uh, taking your life into your own hands.
1: Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, and his latest book is called The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Folks, a quick break, and then we're going to talk about economic growth or the lack thereof, with uh, former World Bank President David Malpass. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: Larry Kudlow. Now back to The
1: Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. So does anybody care about economic growth? Nah. Nah, we'd rather have legal jihads. We'd rather have wealth taxes, the never-ending wealth tax campaign. Editorial in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Anyway, we'll talk some growth with my pal David Malpass, former president of the World Bank and uh, served in the Trump administration and the Treasury and the Reagan years. David, uh, I got one for you. Uh, I'm not going to let you off the hook. This is too much fun. Gene Sperling, op-ed piece. I believe it was yesterday's journal. And then Lael Brainard, another one of your favorites. Um, she gave an interview that got coverage as a news story. Anyway, David, the massive outsized Biden spending starting in March of 2021, the $1.9 trillion American whatever plan worked. According to Gene Sperling, economic advisor to Joe Biden, and uh, before that Barack Obama, and Ms. Lyle Brainerd, longtime Federal Reserve. Now she's got my old job at the NEC. We're, the spending worked, David, and we're heading towards uh, 120% of GDP on the debt to GDP ratio. Uh, are you going to subscribe to that? Are they right?
7: Hi, hi Larry. Well, you know, economists can spin everything. And so one thing is if you ignore the the debt that was accumulated and you ignore the inflation, then it worked. Yeah, Yeah. Um, because it it did uh, inject giant amounts into the economy. I want to bring in also – the regulatory uh, problems that it explains why we are having this persistent inflation. Um, You know, typically we think of inflation being a monetary phenomenon. But I think what we've got going right now is we have inflation being a government phenomenon. It's the government spending and regulation Mm -hmm. that prevents people from working. It adds to prices. It creates consumption without creating the investment underneath. And so if we really want to have a secure world, we have to find a way to get much faster growth Peace through strength for Ronald Reagan was based, and you were there, on the starting point of finding a path to 3 and 4% growth and 5% growth. And that's what scared the Soviet Union. We've got the opposite going now. You can imagine Russia looking at what the U.S. is doing and say, hey, let's just keep this all going for as long as possible
1: because we're going to beat them in the long run. You know, John Cochran from Hoover, formerly Chicago, he has this theory about the— um you know, the, a fiscal explanation for inflation, which I buy not 100 percent, but I understand his point and your point. I mean, your point on regs, it's a supply side problem. If, if you are choking off the supply of goods or services or technology advances and you're pumping up demand through government stimulus, you know, stuff goes right into your checking account, not Fannie Willis because she does it all in cash. But most people mm-hmm. have a checking account. Um, that's inflationary. You're choking off supply and you're expanding demand. Now, again, Gene Sperling, look, I know, I'm not attacking him personally. I don't, You know Gene. I know Gene. I've known him for years. Lale Brainerd. I don't really know her. I think you know her. But um, they're arguing that inflation doesn't matter, the debt doesn't matter, the spending doesn't matter – what mattered was government stimulus, which has given us in the last year, and I've acknowledged this, a stronger than expected economy. There was no recession. Um, the economy was stronger. And that's the challenge here. We're going to have this debate all over again.
7: That's that's right. And so uh, uh, we, we have – that works for politicians. So if you're running and you're planning to stay in office for three years, uh, then, then then your your goal is to get a huge amount of spending injected into the economy so you look good while, you, while mm-hmm. you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is, for the long run, it undercuts the growth. I think we're, we're kind of trying to say, is this like the 1970s? And it's not at all. In mm. the 70s. The dollar was devalued, energy prices went up, and then it, over a period of 10 years, you know, devastated the economy as it passed through. This time, it's a different cause, and so you can't treat it with the same things. In In the 70s, you ended up treating it, as Reagan did, with defending the dollar and then with tax cuts that caused growth. This time around, we have to, I think, really focus on how do you unwind the regulatory burden that's uh, that's yeah. going. It's going every day out of all the international institutions they all they all uh, get together and collude to find the most expensive way uh, to do whatever their goals are
1: I think um, it's by the way that's a good point I don't think you have a dollar problem right now I mean I if you look at commodity indexes or gold I don't know if they're too high or too low Dave but they're they're basically stable you take a look at right. I mean you know you had the pandemic bump and so forth. But it, if, you fa- if you adjust for that, and even in exchange rate terms, the dollar has been pretty darn stable. So you're right. This is not a crashing dollar. Uh, I- so we have a different problem. I'll call it the capital misallocation. And I was happy Elon Musk said
7: it yesterday. The government is absorbing all this money, and then it decides where the money goes. Uh, and so you're not going to get growth out of that. And to make matters worse, the gov- the Both the Treasury and the Fed are borrowing at the short end of the curve. Mm. So they're sitting right on, you know, we have an inverted yield curve, I don't which know. should be a red flag for everybody. You know economics can't work when you have an inverted yield curve. And yet the government, the Treasury and Fed are both borrowing heavily at the short end. Uh, and so that is a temporary, that allows them to do these articles that you were mentioning. I don't know um, that, that I... You know,
1: I I've always been I mean, even I who usually don't care about debt, i I mean, I'm alarmed at the <laughs> debt in public hands, the latest CBO report. We reported it on the T V show. But David, I don't think I don't think debt impacts interest rates so much uh per se. I I'd liked your other argument better, this regulatory supply side argument. But I'll tell you this. Affordability affordability yeah. uh-huh. This is something that people don't understand. Yep. We, yeah, get, but, but, we got Trump. I got Trump on this on the campaign trail. Uh-huh. Prices uh-huh. are going up. The last three years, not every month, but the last three years, afford uh, prices gone up five points more than wages. So real wages have fallen. That's the affordability crisis. Exactly right. And
7: I got to jump. The, what government's doing is raising rates into that affordability so if you're trying to buy if you're a young person trying to buy a house or a car you're out of
1: luck right now maybe so unaffordable maybe so there's uh default rates are starting to pick up so there's something to that whether it's debt caused or what i don't know anyway david malpass former world bank president uh trump treasury advisor We're going to take a break, folks, to do some stock market work. On the other side, I'm Kudlow. Please stick around. Lots more cooking.
0: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Let's reset the whole story here. First of all, you can get us live on the internet, live stream us, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. Plays all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, including the Milky Way. And please, during the week, join us on television, Fox Business. Name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And if you can't get to it at 4 just text your favorite nine-year-old. She'll show you how to DVR the show. All right? Now, here, it's time to do some stock market work. Kind of a semi-boring week in the stock market. Of course, everything's boring. Politics is awful. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be good and what's going to be bad. But um, Dow is flat, minus 44 points. NASDAQ down 215. SP and p down twenty-one. I don't know what the big themes are. We need some help on this whole story. We're going to talk to, do we find LeCamp? Not yet. I'm still working on Jim LeCamp, but we do have Pete Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion and Option Monster, Option Monster, old friend Pete. Thank you for this. What's your, what's good doing with the stock market? After you know, we had some pretty big rallies. Mm-hmm. Uh, year to date, we're up. Uh, let's see. The s and is up 5% year to date. And, um, is this rally going to continue? Is this rally going to melt up? Is this rally going to ignore whatever it's going to ignore?
8: There is a lot of that going on for sure, and, and that so far has been the story. I think it's uh, the the one thing that stands out for me about this past week, Larry, quite honestly, is just the, the some of those numbers, they're just not the numbers that I think a lot of people expected with the inflation and how much stickier it is than, than probably uh, presumed to be. Um, that's something. And obviously that points us right to Jerome Powell and the Fed and what, what their thoughts are going forward. I can tell you this, that there's there's ways that you can actually kind of look into the future a little bit. And the March meeting now, they're looking at a pause that's about 91.5% mm. that that's going to happen. And then in May, 67%. And then in June, about 50% that it could get a cut or it could be uh, a pause again. So we have a little bit of a glimpse of the of, of of what we're seeing and going through the data, but it's it certainly is interesting. We had those retail sales numbers this past week as well, there, Larry, where they they declined. So you know, there's there's the ups and the downs, but it just seems like this market wants to be more on that upside because of the fact that we've seen these crazy moves in the Nasdaq and specifically in. Not just the Magnificent Seven. I'm not one of those guys. I'm actually a guy who sees that there's a much broader move to the upside. A lot of it is in technology, but we've, we've saw a lot of different things. When you look at the earnings, matter of fact, this past week, and you look at somebody like Lyft who finally showed that they can make some money, they beat on the top and the bottom. They have great gross bookings. That was fantastic. And the stock has, has made a pretty nice move to the upside, finally. And then their, their, their competition with Uber says, well, you know what? We're going to do a buyback of $7 billion. So there's there's a lot of names out there that are moving to the upside that don't get much coverage, and everybody wants to look at just one or two names, Nvidia, you know, yeah. whatever you want to say. But I think that there's much more to it than that, and a lot more to the markets, and including maybe Larry Crypto, which certainly had an unbelievable last maybe eight or ten trading days, just ripping to the upside. So that's something as
1: well. Bitcoin closing at fifty one, almost fifty two thousand. So, mm-hmm. uh. I don't know what was the high, Pete. Sixty something.
8: I think it was in the sixty sixty thousand plus. Uh, so it, you're gaining that, on
1: it. You're gaining on it.
8: It's it's coming up really rapidly. And and I I would say to the people who say, well, you know what, I'm really not into Bitcoin. I would say that you don't necessarily have to be. You want to look at Bitcoin and see what that direction looks like. But there are so many different names that are tied into the crypto space that are that are pretty interesting. You know, Marathon, Riot, MicroStrategy. There's CleanSpark. There's a lot of different names and they they all had incredible weeks this last week because of the fact of Bitcoin getting back up there and a lot closer to 60,000 than we were just to, you know, if you go back 10 days ago, we were about 10,000 lower and not too far back. Even from there, we we found ourselves into the 30,000 level or less. So it's been a pretty magnificent run to the upside. And I think there's a lot of different ways that, that people can try to try to take advantage of that situation and that movement to the upside.
1: You know, um, Fannie Willis uses cash. Nobody asked her if she uses Bitcoin. Maybe <laughs> that's how she paid back uh, her paramour, Nathan <laughs> Wade. I mean, I, you know, we should we uh-huh. should explore. But if you have Bitcoin, you have to post it on a ledger, don't you? A blockchain would, ledger.
8: I, yeah, there's there's a lot of different steps to
1: that for sure, and and that's why, Larry, I think.
8: Most people, they hear about Bitcoin, they don't, they don't, they're not comfortable with it. I'm probably even in that category myself. But I, but I certainly like these names that are attached, whether it be a Coinbase for the transactional side of things, these miners. Um, I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can at least assess that we can go here. It's tradable. It's out there. It's something that actually there's my world of options, a lot of options activity in a lot of these various names. And Larry, if I told you the marathon just in the last week or so went from seventeen and a half all the way up to thirty, you'd say that's a pretty good year. And that was that was the week. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of yeah. of some of the movements that we are seeing in that
1: space. How about banks and financial? Financials are up five percent last week. mhm yep. Yeah, I I like what we're seeing out of the financials. I think
8: I think there's some surprise names out there. Um, probably not surprised by J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs, but. I'm personally surprised of of the positive moves in the, uh, and by the way, in my world, the derivatives world, we've seen a lot of upside uh, folks buying the upside calls in names like Citibank, but we just don't talk about certain names very often. It seems like there's an exclusive class, and then there's the next group, and I'll tell you what, if you take a look at uh, where Citi was back in October or going into November to where it is now, it's been on an absolutely unbelievable move to the upside. Now, there's been some pullbacks, but it's had a really, really nice move to the upside, and I think there's other financial names as well.
1: Well, it's it's interesting. Wells Fargo up eight percent, B of A up three, JP Morgan two. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Let's see, year, year to date the banks are doing very well. Last year that I mean, maybe there's a comeback going on in banks. That's a healthy sign for the economy. What um what's your read on interest rates, Pete Najarian? Well, you know,
8: I I think that these rates, I I do think we're going to be in a situation where we're probably going to be in a pause for much longer. I was never really in the the category with the folks out there, Larry, that were saying, well, we're going to have six cuts this year, or Mm -hmm. whatever the numbers are that they were pulling out. And the reason I was against that was, I think if nothing else, whether you like Powell or don't like Powell and the Fed and what they're doing, um, I think the one thing has been very, very consistent was the fact that they are as transparent as they've been and he's talked about data. He's talked about a lot of different things, and many of the others have talked about these things. And I think given the situation, it it made no sense to me that we would expect that many cuts this year. Now, Mm -hmm. um, if the data changes in any way, I think I would change my mind, and I think the Fed would as well. But I think it's something that we have to be very conscious of is they're not pulling the, the, the wool over our eyes. They're letting us see what's out there, and we see some of the inflation that's there. So, they'll pause and wait and look for the next data points. And I think that's something that um, there are many people I think got in front of themselves a little bit too far when it comes to some of the rate cuts that they expected.
1: I mean, I thought that um, the year is young, but the yeah. market improvement this year was not based on rate expectations, but rather based on profit expectations, earnings expectations, mm-hmm. earnings still coming in Yeah. Uh, I know pretty good. I know the benchmarks, I mean the standard, the bar gets changed and you come in, you beat the bar. but still, earnings are not crashing. the economy is certainly not crashing. so right. I, I, th- I mean it kind of in some sense looks like it's an earnings driven market with relatively stable interest rates, oh. not higher, not lower, right. just, you know, which is not bad, right? I mean mm. that's that's okay
8: we're on the same page man we really are yeah because i'm seeing the same thing larry and you know we always we get so many strange comments i think from so many people whether it's on tv and and mostly tv and some with radio but you're right i i I look at what the earnings are are showing us and overall i'd say they've been pretty impressive i mean just the other day you look at a name like shake shack that you know it's not followed by everybody but you look at that stock and it's gone from 78 to 98 in a hurry Mm. they had great revenue growth and then you look at some of the other the other names out there as well that we're seeing growth, I think, unexpectedly for a lot of people. But I think so far we've been pretty impressed with what we've seen with earnings and a big one coming up this week, obviously, with NVIDIA. Mm-hmm.
1: What's um? it's funny in the last segment before the hour, David Malpass was talking about the inverted yield curve. Mm-hmm. But that model of recession has not worked, at least so far. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, for whatever reason, um, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, the Fed funds rate, I'll call it five and a half, um, five years at four and a quarter, the 10 years at 430. So the curve is still pretty steeply inverted, but it has not been the recession signal, which would be very bad for stocks normally. That hadn't happened this time. What do you make of that? Right.
8: Yeah, we're, not, we're, we're just not seeing it. I think that, that people are taking all the stocks individually, taking a look at what they look like, how, how do the earnings roll out. And obviously, it's been, like you just said, probably unexpectedly to some degree, mm. um, better than expected. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we are seeing some numbers, a lot of beats, not everybody, of course, There's a, there's some big misses out there as well. But I think when you look at certain parts of the technology space, and we've heard from a big chunk of that, but. Like I say, Nvidia is coming up, and that's a stock that's been absolutely ridiculous. I, I got a crazy stat for you, Larry. In the in the last seventy days, and this is about a week old now, but last seventy days, Nvidia went up ten billion dollars per day, every day for seventy days in terms of market
1: cap. So Nvidia, so, Nvidia is in the S and P. It is yes. And it's not in the Dow. No, it is not. Right? Is it in the Nas still?
8: Oh, oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you mm-hmm.
1: own the index which I own I own Nvidia I'm Nvidia. excited so Nvidia yeah. for our listeners uh, besides the fact that my pal Jim Kramer named his dog Nvidia uh, <laughs> yeah. years this is years ago <laughs> I never forgotten it but it was a good call by Jimmy but Nvidia is a chip maker right yeah and, yep. it, and it is a chip maker that links or enables um Artificial intelligence, AI. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. So, and they
8: own about 90% of that market right now.
1: Wow. Wow.
8: <laughs> so they're sitting in a good spot, but they also, they're, they're, here's the other thing, Larry, that does get lost, because we'll all talk about NVIDIA or maybe even AMD or some of these other names, but I'll even throw out a name for you that doesn't get talked about a lot, but ASML. Uh, you look at that one, that's another company that's part of the advanced chip market mm-hmm. and when you combine that and take a look at that thing over the last year or the last couple of months or whatever time frame you want to look at it's uh, it's off to the races as well so that's why i say the one frustration i have is all of this talk about a seven whatever you whatever you want to call it um there are many 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 stocks out there that should be getting covered and and much more coverage mm. because of the fact that it's not just seven stocks that are going to the upside yeah they have big market caps and they make the movement but there's a lot of other names, Larry, out there that I, I'm very impressed with right now, from some of the results that we have seen, either from earnings or whatever, but but particularly just the stocks themselves and how they've moved. And in some cases, still like Nvidia, it's not overly priced where it used to be because their earnings have grown so fast.
1: Well, um, what was the other company you mentioned? Uh, ASML. Is it what is is that an American company? Um, no i believe it's a
8: foreign country uh company huh. yeah but, they have the technology for the most advanced chips that's
1: what but I amd is american nvidia is american yeah. um yeah. then you go down cisco is american intel intel's mm-hmm. america intel kind of not a great as great a company as it used to be is that fair
8: no Yeah, it's very fair but i would say this it it's actually made of really reasonable comeback come back, from yeah. where it was it yeah. was it was in big trouble and and they've come back they've bounced back pretty well
1: hmm. all right let's take a break folks we're talking to pete najarian co-founder of market rebellion and option monster i'm Cudlow. uh we'll be right back with more on the stock market
0: this is the larry kudlow show Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show.
1: Welcome back, folks. We're doing some stock market work with uh, Pete Najarian, who was co-founder of Market Rebellion and Option Monster. monster. Pete, um, what, uh, what's your oil energy outlook? I mean, it's been quiescent, and mm-hmm. that's a good thing, I reckon, uh, mm-hmm. and it's good for inflation. What's, uh, what are you thinking there? Anything? Yeah, you
8: know Larry, I'm I'm really glad you asked that question because I was thinking about that uh, as we went to break and I was thinking that we hadn't really touched on crude which is this past week went from 74 back up to 78, but it's still significantly below those triple digit levels that we were at once a, once upon a time. But I think the interesting thing in that in that world right now is the consolidation that we are seeing which is it seems like every week we read about something. We had the Exxon deal with Pioneer for sixty billion dollars, and we had the twenty-six billion dollar deal this past week with Diamondback and Endeavor. So there's definitely the, a lot of uh, folks that are attracted to that sector. They're they're keeping a very close eye on that. Um, one of the things I'd also mention is just Warren Buffett once again added to his Chevron position. So mm. you know whether you like Warren or don't like well, whatever somebody's opinion is. He certainly is the Oracle who's been around a long time, and he just continues to add to that position. So, um, you know, he's not only got that, but, of course, he's also got Occidental. And we've seen a lot of derivatives paper, option paper, looking for upside in energy over the last three or four trading days. We saw a a big acceleration in that area. So it seems that folks are looking for crude to maybe have a little bit more legs even past 78.
1: We'll see. Well, I think, you know, if you call it $80, that's -hmm. a very healthy price for wholesale yeah. oil and that's that should be a very profitable price i mean the, those big guys uh <laughs> drillers and frackers you know they they don't say this but they can make money at 40 or 45 yeah. 80 yeah. 80 is a gift uh <laughs> now and then you had the other thing right mm-hmm. the biden's are trying to shut down lng and mm-hmm. you know no permits for drilling and fracking and so forth so you know, you're limiting future supply. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we should, we're we at 13 million barrels a day, 13.2, uh, which sounds like a great number, but we were there in late 2019. We should be at 15 <laughs> today. Now, we're not because that's not what this uh, Green New Deal policy wants. The Green New mm-hmm. Deal may be replaced in November. We'll see if Trump wins. But the point I'm making is Energy is not bad sector because prices are historically relatively pretty high, okay. right? Pretty yeah. high.
8: Oh, and to your point, Larry, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. The, the the fact of what are they p- taking out of the ground, it, like you said, could be anywhere between thirty five and, and maybe yeah. forty five a box. Yeah, that's right. Here we are. Here we are. You know, <laughs> and, and a lot a lot higher than that, nearly double that. So I think it gives us great opportunities for Harold, sure. And Harold Ham always tells
1: things. me Harold says he needs seventy. I say Harold, you'd do great at forty. <laughs> But that's an ongoing debate. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Pete Najarian, Market Rebellion, Option Monster. Thanks a million. Appreciate it. All right, folks, we'll take a break. And the other side of the break, we're going to do some money and politics with Liz Peake and with Steve Moore. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: wall street to the white house this is the larry kudlow show
1: welcome back folks i'm larry kudlow we're gonna do some money in politics liz peak fox news contributor and syndicated columnist and steve moore wabc radio host more money following uh, this show and many of these same stations also committee to unleash prosperity hotline welcome back kids i wanted to Chew on it. I mean, I know everybody's looking at these insane uh, legal issues, but I'll start with you, Liz. I had Laura Trump on the TV show this week, and she's uh, going to be some kind of big position at the Republican National Committee. And I said, you know, the big thing here is Democrats are going to try to steal the election. I mean, you take a look at these lawsuits and the insanity that they're doing. Um, and we had Matt Taibbi on, who wrote about this at some length, uh, lawfare and um, sabotaging elections and so forth. But the G- the question is, is the GOP ready to fight the Democrats with um, mail in ballots and harvesting and other shenanigans and Zuckerberg's and all the rest of that? Because this is going to be a big issue. De- and the Democrats, you know, lawfare, sabotaging fair elections, these are big themes. This is what they're running on. They don't, they don't run on the economy or affordability. They don't run on the border. They don't run on foreign policy. Uh, you know, they run on Fannie Willis and Letitia James and all this other garbage. So the question is, and I asked Laura, I said, Laura, you got to be Trump tough. I mean, she said, I'm ready. But I mean, are they ready? I mean, do we think they're ready?
9: Well, I I think they're readier than they were in 2020. Uh, There there certainly were lawyers looking at a lot of the things that happened in 2020, but when Pennsylvania did something that I believe was completely illegal in changing their voting format without it going through the uh, normal process, you know, there wasn't really any response uh, prepared for that because no one, you know, again, I think it was a little bit of a failure of imagination and as George Bush used to refer to 9/11, I don't think Republicans could imagine just how far Democrats would do would go to use the pandemic as an excuse mm. to make it easier for them to round up votes and voters, uh, and and get all those ballots harvested. And that's what they did. So I do think they're ready. Or I mean, I've heard this from people uh, working for the RNC. They've got an awful lot of a much bigger legal team ready to. Challenge things, but you know larry once once it 's done, challenging it really isn 't very helpful, yeah. because, as we saw in two thousand and twenty uh, you know the the Democrats love to say, well, all the cases that were brought were thrown out about illegal voting that 's simply not true. The cases were not always heard because the uh, courts decided people didn 't have standing or whatever but I, my understanding is about thirty percent of them actually went in favor of people charging wrongdoing. But guess what? Once it's over, the team in charge, and in this case, if it's Biden and the Democrats occupying the White House, they will have no sympathy and no interest for pursuing what may be uh, criminal acts. I mean, it's just not going to happen.
1: Well, Steve, you know, there's an analog here. I mean, if you look at, just just take this uh, crazy New York decision against Trump, the the judge Engoron. And the AG Letitia James, the way they twisted the legal system. This is the – okay, so this is the business analog to uh, election fraud and mail-in ballots and heart. They will do anything to win, and they will do, by the way, anything not to talk about the issues. Now, I happen to think that these lawsuits and that that Fannie Willis and so forth is going to kill them. But that's just one one Indian's point of view. The fact is, they know the sabotage game and the lawfare legal game. They know it very well. I'm just worried that Republicans are going to get out jocked again. That's all. <laughs> just saying.
10: Well, a, a couple of observations. Number one, um, I'm not a lawyer, but I am an economist, and it's people like Donald Trump who built New York. You know, yes. it was people yeah. like John Katsimatidis and Donald Trump who made New York the great city that it was. And it is a stain on the great city of New York that uh, basically say, sorry, Donald Trump, you can't do business anymore. That's going to hurt New York. It's not going to hurt Donald Trump uh, if he can't do uh, business in New York because he's going to move to Florida. and And that's been happening all over the country. They do the same thing in Chicago. They say uh, you know, they they, they uh, chased out Ken Griffin. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna take my 2,000 jobs and my billions of dollars and I'm gonna move it out. So it's just a very sad day for the state of New York. There's nobody who believes that this case was anything but political. And in fact, I'm not, I don't follow all these cases because I mean, they what, they wanna put him in jail for 500 years. But we see so 700, many of these ca- 700. <laughs> 700, I mean, it is it is outrageous. A couple of quick things on the election stuff. Number <clears throat> number one, we have got to one of the most important things, uh, Larry. Given these new election rules, and by the way, Liz is correct. The reason Trump lost is the left used COVID as a way to change the voting rules uh, to to change the whole way we vote. And if it had not been for that, Trump would have won. I'm not saying the vote election was stolen. As my friend, John Fund would say, they stole it fair and square because they changed the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, they, and, and the truth is they've sort of changed the rules permanently. And as such, we have got to, got to, got to as Republicans get our voters out early. Mm-hmm. The people yep. have to vote early now. <clears throat> we saw in that New York special election rate, uh, race that the Democrats got their voters out to vote early. Then you had a snowstorm on election day mm-hmm. and a lot of people couldn't vote. Now, I'm not saying that's mm-hmm. the reason we lost, but we lost a lot of votes as a result of that. One other quick thing. you Have you heard of automatic voter registration, either of you?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Heck yeah. This
10: is Unbelievable! They are not. John Fund did a big study for us at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity on this. They, you go in for food stamps, you go in to get your driver's license, or you go to any government agency, and they will automatically register you to vote. And guess what? They
1: don't ask. Guess what question they don't ask?
7: Are you a citizen?
10: The last time I checked, you had to be a citizen to vote.
1: My saintly wife. My saintly wife gets uh, invitations. From both New York and Connecticut. okay both send her there's this like pre-registration. They're reminders both states at the same time. I mean I tell her just vote early and often. it's okay by me because that's what Democrats are gonna do. but she gets them from both so yeah. That's going to be a and problem. By the way,
10: if they're going to do ballot harvesting, if they're going to say that's legal, we should do ha- ballot
9: harvesting. I'm telling yeah, you, Yeah, Steve, the problem with that is Steve, they have feet on the ground. Think about the that's teachers true. unions. Think about that's all the true. other unions yeah. that they can weaponize yeah. against right. Republicans. And that is what they will do. We have no such army ready to hit the streets and do that kind of work. And that's why, I mean, in a way, it's a sort of a permanent imbalance if you that's get right. to that ballot harvesting thing, which, by the way, I don't believe in at all. I, I'm sure <laughs> if you followed around one of those ballot harvesters, you would find people going to nursing homes and saying, granny, here's a line. Just sign it. I'll tell you what it means later. They don't have it. I mean, they, I, I think it's incredibly corrupt. They but have that's what is, they will do.
1: They have they have unions on the ground. Republicans that's have right. stockbrokers selling index yeah, funds. I mean, exact, I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's not exactly laugh, but, the same it's, thing.
9: It's a real problem. And and the and go on the websites of something like the teachers unions that's, after and during an election, there is a call to arms, and those people yeah. turn out.
1: Well, that's what I was saying to Laura Trump, you you take this job, you just got to be ready for warfare, trench oh, warfare yeah. on, the ground, on the ground, on the ground.
9: So now, I thought Laura Trump might be someone that they put in charge of the Trump organization in New York. I think Trump does get to pick somebody, correct, oh, for those three years?
1: I don't know. I, I, I'm I not sure. So. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how quickly the the appeal is. Uh, what I am sure is it's insane. I mm. mean, Steve makes a good point. The uh, New York Post ran, you know, Trump changed, Trump, among other things. Trump changed the uh, skyline of New York. He did. He really did. East side, uh, Grand Central Station, West side, uh, the skating rink, Liz. Remember the skating rink episode?
9: Which was huge for my family and all other young families at the time, because we assumed, like most New York City projects, it would go on for a decade. Our kids would be in college by the time they fixed it. Donald Trump fixed it in six months or very close to that. And it was a blessing. Uh, it really was. But, you know, going back to Steve's thing about Ken Griffin living Chicago, what about Elon Musk leaving Delaware? Mm. I mean, at yeah. some point, these states are going to have to wake <laughs> up to the fact that, you know, this could really hurt them. And in New York, would you start a big business in New York? No what way. Could possibly, no way. No way. What could possibly incite you to do that? I cannot imagine.
1: Well, we'll see how this plays out. I know. I know everything you say is right. Um I don't see at the moment any self awareness by these uh, Democrats. I just don't see it, and I think that's going to be the this election. They're going to run on the far left, and they're going to try to steal it. I mean, did you? I I don't know if either of you read the Matt Taibbi piece or the summary of the piece. Uh, We had him on the on the TV show, Mm -hmm. and I mean, he's look look, he's not a man of the right. He's just a good investigative reporter, and he said lawfare and sabotage uh, John Podesta running secret uh, organizations and their war gaming for elections. You know, I, <laughs> damn, Republicans don't do that. You and by the way, I mean? that's
10: illegal. He's a, he's a federal employee. He, that, that yeah. is a, that's a violation of the Hatch Act.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it is. You're right. Go sue him. Abs- yeah, the, for, no soon su- no, will hear that case. Sue for $450 million. Go ahead. go, go. go. By, by the way,
10: 91% of the federal employees in Washington
1: voted for Joe Biden. Of course. Of course. All right. We're going to take a quick break, come back and uh, chew on this some more. I want to ask Steve Moore why Democrats don't like rich people. The never-ending wealth tax campaign. Vermont now. Another one flirting with unindexed, uh, unrealized capital gains. Liz Peak, Fox News contributor. Steve Moore of... Uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and uh, WABC radio host of More Money. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
0: Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peak, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore of FreedomWorks and Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline and WABC radio host of More Money, which will follow this show on many of these same stations. Uh, Steve Moore, op-ed piece by... Biden economic advisor, Gene Sperling.
10: <laughs> I saw that.
1: And also a news conference by um, uh, Biden economic advisor, Lael Brainerd. Uh, mm-hmm. She has the old, my old job, but they're both arguing. And I know you're going to love this. Both of you will love this. Um, the spending bills worked. They were absolutely essential to prosperity. <laughs> Look how well the economy is doing. Sperling and Lael Brainerd, Steve Moore, do you have a response from the Committee to uh, to Unleash Prosperity? Well,
10: I did see that piece by my friend Gene Sperling, and, uh, he and I've known him for, and you've known him a long time, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's trying to put a little lipstick on a pig here because they increased spending by $6 trillion when Biden came into office. And by the way, it's so important to repeat this point that the economy was already— well out of the recession uh, from COVID in the last six months that Trump was president. We didn't need another penny of government spending. They poured on six trillion. Uh, The inflation rate was 1.6% when uh, Trump left office. They somehow in 18 months took the inflation rate from 1.6 to 9.1%, one of the worst records in history. And we're now paying the price every single day of that, I mean, we're still – the cost of groceries, 22% higher. The cost of paying a mortgage, 28% higher. The cost of buying gasoline, 33% higher. If they want to take credit for that, they can. They, they don't can mention that. It.
1: They never mention that stuff, yeah. higher prices. Um, Ms. Brainerd says that lower tax rates on businesses didn't matter. What matters is spending programs like the <laughs> CHIPS bill and the infrastructure bill. And the Green New Deal bill. That's what she says, Can I, can Liz? I just
10: say, say one quick thing on oh, that?
1: Go right ahead. Last, Don't last pull your year, punches.
10: <laughs> last year, you know what the top performing uh, uh, industry was in the stock market?
1: Yes. Bitcoin. Oil and gas.
10: Energy. Energy. Oil and gas. It was oil and gas. And the, you know what the worst performing sector was? Green energy. <laughs> yes. So yeah, what the hell companies. are they
9: talking about? Yes. <laughs> well, but, I, but I think I think you can also go back to 2020 and look at the bipartisan bills that were passed. And yes, I think that did help. The, the economy was down 32% in the second quarter of 2020. But by the third quarter, it came roaring yes. back. So yep. the work was done. It worked. Yes. We, we stabilized the economy. But Larry, I've used this analogy before, but what should have been... A pig going through a python, a big bulge, became 100 pigs going through the python, and, and the python can no longer move. That's where we are now. There is no there is no let-up in the spending. And all that $1.9 trillion Rescue Act, guess what? That went to blue donors. That's really where it went, to climate activists, to blue states and blue cities. And by the way, I think the productivity of that money was zilch. And to, to, to uh, Steve's point... It ignited inflation. You can look at it month by month. It just pushed so much money into the economy at a time when there wasn't a whole lot to spend it on. Don't blame and me. Prices went through the <laughs> roof. Don't
1: blame me. Mnuchin and I tailed it so it would run out. Honestly, well, in
9: twenty one, yeah. I'm saying, and, and we
1: didn't even right. we didn't even want the last tranche just in late but, December. We didn't want it. Uh, the boss wanted it. Pelosi wanted it. We didn't want it. Yeah. But but yeah. little did we know they were going to come back and make the Python fat. Yeah. I understand yeah. that. that was- I'm just saying, yeah. you know that Gene Sperling and Leo Brainerd, two top economic yeah. advisors, and they, and they're gonna. Here's one reason. I mean, partly I'm being mischievous here, but yeah. partly, Steve, they will be making this case on the campaign yeah. trail.
10: They will, mm-hmm. and and uh, the problem is almost every economic statistic you want to look at, because uh, I'm doing this for for President Trump, and I've shown you some of these charts, Larry, mm-hmm. uh, virtually every single statistic when you adjust for inflation, whether it's you know black economic progress, whether it's the stock market, mm. whether it's gas prices, whether it's mortgages, um, it's, you're gonna be hard pressed to find a single statistic where uh, Trump's record in his first three years of office was far superior to the record that Joe Biden uh, has had. I wanna mention one other quick thing. I absolutely love this new video from Elon Musk, and he makes a very important point. He said, "Did you see it, Larry?" He said, "We shouldn't tax billionaires." Yes, yes and I And he makes this really love, important point. He, I love He that. said, "I can spend a hundred million dollars a lot better than the government can. <laughs> I can create yeah. a lot more jobs with that money." I thought it was a great point, and I I love that. Everyone should. But should you're see it. the government doesn't create jobs. It's people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump
1: that create jobs. Yeah, but the hotline shows that the wealthy pay all the taxes, yeah. right? The wealthy paid more taxes, not less, after the Trump tax cuts. Yep. That's with Mary,
9: I, I I'm worried. I, I, we're going back to the election um, manipulation by the Democrats. Mm-hmm. I think I, I was sort of thinking, okay, well, you know, this is um, helps Trump's fundraising, and we're going to kind of have all these appeals and stuff. But now we have six-week trial beginning march 25th yep. mm. where trump has to be in the courtroom every single day for six weeks how is that not election interference sure how is. can anyone possibly sure look at is. that and think yep. that that is a reasonable thing that they're requiring him to do
1: well i agree with you um he'll figure out a way to do it at night as he said he's got his plane <laughs> and they'll they've got they have a good operation but i just want to come back uh steve moore's thing prior to the trump tax cut yeah. The richest 1% paid about 40% of the yeah, income yeah, taxes, yeah. which is itself a huge number.
10: A lot, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, before the Reagan tax cuts, they paid about 20. Now yeah. they pay more than 45. So yeah. they're gaining on half. They're gaining on half. Uh, mm. I mean, now, the Democrats, this is the irony, Steve Moore. <laughs> Democrats have become the party of the rich. The rich and the elite and the, yeah. the well-schooled and the well-pedigreed. It's the Republicans that um, have the middle-class working folks party. So you've got role reversals here. I'm not sure I understand all this or how it's going to play out. I don't know. I, they're going to have to make the case. Look, Steve, I, I think it's great, you know, the, the data points you're doing. But we've got finally uh, – POTUS is talking about the affordability crisis, right? Prices are up 20% wages are only up 15%. Yeah. I think that is still the most it important is. dynamic. You know what I mean? It's it's not about GDP. It's not even to some extent about the CPI. It's about affordability. Yeah. And he, he's using that on the campaign trail. Finally, we got yep. I have a mole in the campaign, Vince Haley. He's mm. a terrific, fabulous speechwriter. Yeah. Anyway, kids, thank you. Appreciate it, Liz Peek as always. Steve Moore's more money coming up right after this on a lot of these same stations. Good visit today. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back next weekend, folks. Take care.